Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We want to welcome you to the auditorium of AccessibleWorld.org. And we're here on November 13th, the birthday of our wonderful Alexander Scorby. And we are here for the Fall Classic. And I will now introduce one of our hosts, and he'll introduce the other one. Uh, first, we'll bring on Mr. Nolan Crabb. Thanks, Bob, and good evening, everybody. It's a bit of a gamble on a Tuesday night. You never know. We've always tried to do this on the, either on the birthday itself or on the Friday before that. And I always thought that those Fridays worked pretty well, but I think we actually have a better turnout on a Tuesday than we uh, than we did uh, on a Friday last time. I could be wrong about that. But it, re regardless of the statistics, thank you for coming and for being part of this tonight. We're all going to have a chance to speak, those who wish to. And talk a little bit about one of the great books, uh, a true fall classic or a classic any time of year. I have asked that Don take the lead on this, at least to some degree, to a great degree, really. Um, he at one time expressed the desire that had he been able to teach this in a school, he would have actually loved to do that. So I thought, well, we're not quite that audience, but uh, but maybe this would be a great opportunity to, to, to have him lead this. And so with that in mind, I will turn the microphone to him, and then we'll go from there. Okay, well, thank you very much, Bob, for your hospitality and allowing us to use the Accessible World site. It's really tremendous that we're able to do that and that you're so welcoming and accommodating, particularly with the idea that that software will not work on my crazy computer. Right now, I managed to hit a button on the computer which turns off all of the function keys. So consequently, I can't close programs. I don't know what, I do know what I did. I just don't know how to fix it. So it's been a very entertaining evening. I heard Mr. Scorby read part of the Bible on YouTube to celebrate his birthday. And then when that happened, I used language that was not worthy of the Bible reading that I just completed. So that's kind of where we are so far. You know, it's an interesting thing. I've been doing a lot of reading about To Kill a Mockingbird. One of the requests that Harper Lee made was when subsequent editions of To Kill a Mockingbird are published, she did not want an introduction to appear in the book. Her feeling was, let the book stand on its own. Well, when I read that, I was kind of horrified, because I thought, she's telling us to let the book stand on its own, and yet we're going to be discussing the book, and probably, in some senses, having the very kind of discussion that she might not have wanted. So I don't know quite how to deal with that part of it, so I'm just going to ignore it. I think a lot of us, from, from what I read on the list, have read the book previously a lot, of people probably read it in high school. I did not. I read it in high school, but I did not read it in class. And I've read it every few years since, and I just, of course, read it again. It's very interesting because this is the first time I read it, or no, the second time I've read it since completing my student teaching. And I kind of read it with a different framework, and I may share some of that with you as, as we go on. But what I really would like to start with is just by getting some some general impressions that people had as maybe if you're reading it for the first time or if you've read it previously and are reading it again, what was your reaction? What was your overall feeling about the book this time around? And maybe how was it different from the last time, if indeed there was a last time? This is Bonnie, and I'll begin. I liked it, but 
I think what I was particularly touched by was the wisdom of the father. I don't think you could ever read this book without wanting Atticus to be your father. He was such a wise person. He knew how to plan for what he wanted his children to learn and know in life for later. He wasn't concerned about them, and that's much my theory about parenthood. I don't think it's really so important. It is important what you teach today, but what you're really preparing a child for is the future. And he did it no matter what type of circumstance they were in and never forgot how important it was to really be a parent. And he was a good one. I'm Anne, and I'd like to agree wholeheartedly with Bonnie. The last time I read this book was about, oh, a year ago or so, and I read it for a different book club, but in any case, um, what struck me was the scenes with um, Scout going to read for the, the elderly lady. I had totally forgotten about this. I've read it. I've read the book several times. And of course, what you you initially remember is the courtroom scene and the or Tom Robinson, you know, and and those scenes come to mind. But what got me this time was the the scenes with Scout and and Dill going and reading to the elderly lady and the, the impression that that made on the children. And I think that this was a prelude to what happened later, a way of encouraging tolerance within, in the kids. And as I say, I have to agree with Bonnie about Atticus. He was a very wise person. Now, this is Alan. Uh, yeah, I first read it probably a year and a half, a couple of years ago. And I, I grew up watching the movie, I guess, with uh, the Gregory Peck movie, which is an outstanding film. And it, it's coming on uh, Turner Classic Movies, I think, on the 21st. But uh, like Ann, I, I, I'm also listening to it with my mother right now, the, the, the Sissy Spacek version that, uh, that she did a couple of years back. And she's outstanding. And we just finished that chapter uh, where they're reading to, to Ms. DuBose. And, and, and I think I, I am, each time I listen to this, I'm noticing more things and, and more of the teachable moments that, that, are, that are so throughout this book. If you just stop and study how, the, how these kids are, 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 are listening to the, the wise counsel of their father, uh, who, who has got to be one of the best literary characters ever invented when it comes to getting along with his fellow man because he, he puts his fellow man First, he respects them and then goes out of his way to, to try to teach his kids to do the same thing, to, uh, uh, to, to try to walk around in people's skin and, and do that. And that, that, that is just the best advice that you can give anybody. Yes, I too think Atticus was wonderful, and of course Scout and Jim and uh, Miss Cal. But at the end, I was impressed with the sheriff, Sheriff Tate. I thought he was kind of a not-too-bright a guy. And he figured out what actually happened. And Atticus said, no, we go to trial. If, if Jem did it, then we're going to trial. That's it. I have to. I have to live with my children, with myself. He was totally Atticus. And he said, you know, I won't get into, some of you haven't read it, apparently, but the sheriff, step by step, he, he said, Atticus, we're going to do it this way. And I'm the sheriff. This is the way it will be. And he drove away. And Atticus walked up to Boo 
and said, Arthur, thank you for saving my children's life. To me, that was a high watermark in the book. I think what struck me about this is the overall culture of the time. And I kept looking at how things were then and kind of comparing it to what happened between then and now. And uh, it just fascinated me. It was There was a lot of great characterization in the book, a lot of wisdom, but overall that the culture of the time was just so fascinating to me. And I don't know why I kept noticing that, but that was what I noticed. Well, I was struck. I read this as an adult first um, on cassette a few years ago, probably six or seven. And I, in the reread for this group, uh, it was as if I had never read it before. It was that unique and different for me. Um, my wife, Valerie, also read it with me around the same time. She makes a good point that I had actually forgotten. You know, this. what's wonderful about this book is the evolution of these kids with their dad. At one point, they don't think he counts for much, quite frankly. He's not as cool as the other dads at school. He's not as hip. Of course, she doesn't use that language, but Atticus can't do much. They love him, sure, but and, and certainly... You know, they don't disrespect him by any stretch. But compared to other kids' dads, he's just not quite there until they find out that he was once a great shot with that gun. And his ability to take care of that uh, rabid dog uh, gives them a whole brand new kind of respect for their dad that they never had before. And how true that is for all of us, including those of us who've had close relationships with our parents. Um, we never really know their inner hearts and dreams and ambitions. Not completely. I, at least most of us never really do. And we go through life initially thinking, well, they're just my folks. And then later on, we come to recognize how incredibly remarkable they are, those of us who had those kind of parents. I loved seeing that evolution in these kids. It was a, it was a grand thing to watch. This is Nancy Lynn. Um, I read this book for the first time just for this group. I was struck mostly by was the theme throughout the book was uh, tolerance, acceptance, prejudice, whether you're dealing with black on white, with somebody who was different like Boo Radley. There was, it was all about, you know, the whole idea of prejudice, uh, prejudging somebody for whatever reason. No matter what, on what basis you're doing it, it just is not the way to go. Well, I read it in high school. I remember little bits and pieces, and it's funny because I was talking to Todd about it here and there, and he remembered more than I did. I remember someone talking about the courtroom scene, really good scene, but and I read it in Braille, actually. I didn't read it in audio, and I, it's weird because usually I'm thinking, eh, I like the Braille better, but this narrator did a really good job, and this is definitely a book I won't forget. I really enjoyed this book. I had read it in high school, too. And um, one thing I really like about this book is it's one of those books that you can read over and over and over again and always learn something new. I read it in Braille, and when I listened to it in audio, it was definitely a different experience. I'm not sure which way I liked reading it the best, but it, it's just a good book. I could read the book and watch the movie, and, and I think it's the only book that she wrote, but wow, it's just a great book. This is Bonnie again, and in information that I found about Harper Lee, it's interesting that her father practiced law, and he defended two black men who were uh, eventually hanged for murdering a white storekeeper, so obviously some of this was 
obviously autobiographical. Uh, this is Jill. I had read this book as an adult um, when it first came out in Braille, and then I read it again. Almost didn't because I thought, you know, I can enjoy this discussion without reading the book. It, and I have to agree, it was almost as if I had never read the book. I had forgotten so much, and so much um, stood out to me that hadn't before. Harper Lee did a wonderful job with her description of the children, uh, especially Scout, from her point of view. I think that's really hard for authors to do, and yet you felt that it was realistic that this girl <laughs> acted the way she did and talked the way she did, and I thought that part was really great. The only thing that really bothered me, and I wonder if anyone knows for sure, um, the court scene, and this just seems so archaic to me, and a lot of things that the defense didn't object about and the prosecution didn't object about, and I wonder if it really was that bad, and I figured this had to be in 1935, does anyone really know if, if court scenes were that bad in 1935? It was around 1932, 33, 34, something that I read traced her narrative to find the year. Um, I would think that in the South it very well might have been. I think your comments, all of your comments, have been so fascinating to me because one of the things when I was pushing to try to teach it during my student teaching, which ultimately I wasn't permitted to do because it was a ninth grade text and I was working in an eighth grade classroom. But one of the things that the teacher who supervised me said to me is, this is a really hard book to teach. And I said, why? And he said, a couple of reasons. He said, first of all, the kids don't get the beginning of it, so they get bored. He said, but also, they don't get the fact that it's connected. Maybe they view it as a courtroom drama. Maybe they view it as part of it as a coming of age. But you have to help them build those bridges. So when you talk about the fact that, for example, the scene with, with the reading, with Jem reading to the, the neighbor, that's a very, very important scene in the book. And yes, it is a precursor. It's another example of walking in someone's shoes. And you have to remember when you're reading that scene, the kids don't know uh, why the behavior is occurring that is occurring. You know, what, what is, she, she is a strange old woman until she passes away. So even though they're there all the time and they're, they're in there every day reading to her, they don't have that explanation till after she's gone. And I think that's really very important. I also think Nolan's point um, about the father um, is a really interesting one. And it's also interesting to note that the father is revered or at least respected by everyone in the community. For a little while, he loses that and then gains it back again because of the trial. But even then, he's pretty well respected and looked up to, except by his kids, because that's just their dad. And I think there really is an evolution. One of the things I read that I thought was very interesting is that the only character who doesn't go through a, a transition in this book, who doesn't change in this book, is Atticus. Yeah. All of the other characters become, become more. Uh, the kids learn tolerance. Boo, who's been very abused by the justice system. And when you look at the title of the book, To Kill a Mockingbird, I don't know if anybody put a lot of thought into uh, the Mockingbird theme, but 
to kill a mockingbird, the mockingbird does nothing but good. But then I read something that said that, well, Harper Lee was a bit of a, quote, mocking, unquote, bird, because she was pointing to some of the hypocrisy in Alabama and in the Alabama of her youth and her childhood. If you read the biography, which I did read, that uh, people have been talking about Mockingbird, the, the biography of Harper Lee, very interesting because it's very, very clear that Scout is very much who Harper Lee was. And yes, this is her only novel. She wrote some short stories prior and periodically spoke about, oh, another novel, another novel, but it never was forthcoming, whether that was because of the way that Truman Capote treated her in cold blood by not recognizing her substantial work on it. It's an interesting thing. But all of those things um, come up in this book for me, and I think for a lot of people, and I think it's really encouraging. I've read the book about 25 times, and I think it's really interesting that, that people have come up with so much because it's a very rich book, and that's, I think, what you're seeing. Does anyone have any other thoughts about the title of the book? Is it an effective title? Originally, it was going to be called Atticus. Well, I'm going to ask the obvious. I thought the mockingbird, excuse my ignorance, was Boo. But please correct me. Are, are you saying it is it Atticus, or was she mocking the ta the whole society there in Alabama? And what about Cal? I thought Cal uh, didn't change. He was great all the way through this this thing. I didn't see an evolution. Uh, of a character. I like Calpurnia very, very much. But anyway, excuse my ignorance, but I, I want to know more about the Mockingbird. I thought it was Boo. Well, the Mockingbird to me did symbolize, obviously, this bird does nothing but good. The Mockingbird sings. And I think maybe the nice way to look at this book, beyond all the hypocrisy, the prejudice of the times, if you look at how Atticus wanted his children to live and how much he wanted to teach them, which I mentioned earlier and other people have mentioned as well, I believe that this book is about the human spirit prevailing and about the fact that no matter what circumstances we're in, we can, in our own way, continue to sing and do good. That's the wonderful thing about a good title. When you have a good title, it can mean many different things, but that's what I like to think of it as in addition to the two things mentioned. I was sitting here thinking about your question, Don. Yes, the Mockingbird is Boo Radley, but the Mockingbird is also Tom Robinson. The whole thing started out with him offering to help someone else. And the old adage about no good deed goes unpunished, it all of a sudden hit me just now. I mean, it really did, just now, that the Mockingbird... Anyway, I know it's Robinson. If I got the first name wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, as I say, the whole reason that he got in trouble was because he started out by helping someone and then... Bonnie's mentioning the spirit and the breaking of the spirit is crucial in what happens to Robinson because he wouldn't have run away if his spirit had not been broken. That's what I'm getting as we're sitting here discussing this. It, as I say, it's it's a very new revelation, but it just came now. Yeah, I mean, uh, along the same lines, I, I think the title is just excellent because whether you want to ascribe the, the the mockingbird to to Tom Robinson or Boo Radley or 
or, or, or anybody in life that's that's uh, that's I won't say defenseless, but you know somebody that you need to to to, to watch out for, or, or uh, just just your fellow man. The whole book is about. Uh, doing right by your fellow man in, in my opinion and, and Atticus does such a great job of, of trying to teach that to his kids and uh, you know it's wrong whenever you don't do that whether it's a civil rights issue that that you know in the background that uh, uh, that you know I'm from the deep south and you know I lived through this stuff you know Harper Lee was right you know, there, there's some people down here that you know need to be horsewhipped by the way they treated their fellow their fellow citizens whether they're black whether they're white trash whatever you want to call them but uh, I think that's the, the the theme that she's trying to hammer home here is you know uh, whether it's a, a mockingbird in nature or whether it's somebody that's 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 less fortunate than you or or, or, or whether it's somebody that's uh, you know above you how, you know how you how you treat your 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 fellow your fellow citizens in life uh, uh, that that you, you really get the measure of a man to see how he treats those that he considers uh, beneath him, and uh, that's that's how you can uh, really find uh, somebody's true character. I love the fact that this book really isn't confined to the Deep South. I uh, I don't have Alan's expertise. I spent a couple of years in South Carolina and part of Georgia as a young young guy and came to love those people. They were incredibly kind to me. I, I've never been treated more hospitably than when I was a, a Latter-day Saint missionary down there as a 19-year-old kid. And they fed me and they, they treated me like I was one of their children in so many regards. But what fascinates me is the mocking way in which these so-called Christian uh, missionary ladies behaved toward others in the community. And that is not confined to the Deep South. All of you know of circumstances in which someone in your hometown in your family has commented about another neighbor or another family and they'll say things like you know those guys have always been crazy or they sure got the shallow end of the gene pool when they dipped into that family or and you do you hear this it's not a southern town phenomenon it's it's everywhere oh they're a little touched or they you know he's that that bunch has got a mean streak in them a mile wide you've got to watch out for them and you do, you hear this, uh, you know, in, in all kinds of communities, probably and perhaps not so much in large cities, but certainly in middle-sized and smaller towns. Uh, that's very common all over the country. That's, that's not one region. And so I do think there is some mocking there of, although that's not really what the title is about, it does come to mind for me. Absolutely, and I just want to add, you know, this has opened up my mind, and that's not easy to do, but Harper Lee was looking at society. She was the, you know, yes, you have the circles in different towns and the, the the Catholic Church had its group, you know, talking about everybody. And I think the classic thing, another thing that stuck out was the young teacher who was teaching, what, first grade? And uh, and they said, well, they're Cunninghams. You don't do that with the Cunninghams. You don't give them lunch money. And, and that's the Yules. And that's, you know, and the lady, the teacher didn't know. And uh, she slowly began to learn from Scout and the kids. And they they came around as she was weeping, and they hugged. They said, "That's okay, we're with you." But the Cunninghams are the Cunninghams, and the Yules are the Yules. Well, the one thing I would like to say about uh, Christians is, while they want to do good, they have long memories for how whatever help they gave was received and used before. So, contrary to popular belief, or as they would like to have it, judgments are made, 
And so if they give something to someone and it isn't utilized the way they'd like it to be, they remember that it wasn't. And they may say, oh, they hope for the future and they hope you'll do better, but they do know that they look at you as having that history. Okay, yeah, I wanted to say something about the uh, relationship with the children and Cal, Calpernica. The, the situation where she spoke perfect English when she was around them, and uh, but when she was with the black people or the black church, she spoke like them. And the time when she took the children to church with her, and they had the singing where they were, I guess they called it uh, lining. But uh, first of all, some of the black people did not want the children there. Later, the Pastor Sykes told them, you to, um, you know, you are welcome to be here. And he even put them in the front row with uh, Cal and introduced them as uh, Miss uh, uh, Finch and Mr. Finch and uh, said they were glad to have them. And as it turned out, it was the black people that made, and the pastor, Pastor Sykes, who put them in the balcony so that they would have a place to sit during the trial where they kind of got away from. And uh, in some ways, I wonder if uh, Cal wasn't kind of a substitute wife or mother with the, uh, to the children until, um, you know, he brought in his sister to help out. He cooked for everybody and everything, and she appeared white. And, in fact, uh, Scout commented on how she knew how to talk the way she was and how she said that when she was with the people of her own kind, she didn't want to be appearing to put on airs. But uh, it was just uh, interesting as far as the double life that uh, Cal was living. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think that the, the I think Bonnie Hurley hit it right on the head when she yeah. said the title can mean a lot of things. There isn't a right or wrong answer, I don't think. I think that that's part of the beauty of not only the title, but part of the beauty of this book is the absolute depth of it. When you think about it, yes, it's the black and white struggle of the civil rights movement that brought about the civil rights movement, but it's also class different classes of people and where do you fit. You know, Harper Lee said at one time that she wanted to be the Jane Austen of the South. And I kept thinking about that when I thought about the class distinctions, even among the white. Or Calpurnia's statement about, I don't want to be seen as putting on airs. The fact that Calpurnia was able to read and a lot of the people couldn't. You, you did have a certain sense of the haves and the have-nots quote unquote. Part of the beauty of this book though is that it really shows that categorized haves and have nots really doesn't work because what we see in all of these people is that the what we think even what we as readers think about them originally is not what we think about them at the end of the book. Our own perceptions change as we walk a mile in their shoes, as we get into their skin. I think we learn things as, as readers also. So it, it is a book that deals with the civil rights struggle, but it deals with the struggle of humanity, and it deals with the hypocrisy. But I also think, and I, I'm so glad, Bonnie, that you basically brought up the fact it's a hopeful book. Um, I think it's a very hopeful book, and I don't always think it's read that way. One of the things that came up 
there's a big debate over whether it's a coming-of-age book or whether it's a gothic. And I have to tell you that even though there are supernatural elements, you've got a, a lot of times where Harper Lee uses the very normal, everyday, slow, southern community, Mayberry, RFD, you know, that kind of thing with a very typical, contrasted with some of these images of ghosts and rabid dogs and, and supernatural things to try to give a sense that, this is just not this always peaceful little town. You know, you've got this coming together. But I would never really think of it as a gothic. To me, it's very much a coming of age. But it's not just a coming of age for the kids. It's a coming of age for the adults. It's a coming of age. Did anybody give any thought to that about the development? And is this actually a coming of age story? Yes, I have. This is Bonnie again. I know it's considered a coming-of-age novel, but I think coming-of-age novels are often successful simply because they are coming-of-age novels for changed thinking and learning that is as much for adults as it is for children, and I think that's true. And as I was listening to you, Don, I was thinking that, I don't know, this is one of those novels where I think you could read it over and over and over and get new things every time, and I think you've made me want to. But the element of choice, how we want to live, Atticus and Calpernica were both very much on the same page in terms of what they wanted people to know about in terms of how to live. And it's interesting to me when you think about these differences, like the way Calpernica was living with the people that in her community that, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, as Ruth Ann brought up, um, yet she never forgot somewhere along the line she got the idea that uh, everyone including me everyone in my community and everyone else has a choice of how we want to live and we can be as good as we want to be we can increase in our accomplishments and our achievements or at least do better than people think we can and most of all it has to begin with ourselves and i think that's one of the things that i think she was really trying to teach those kids and who knows maybe atticus realized that that's exactly the type of person she was and that she would teach help teach his children exactly that yeah this is alan uh yeah i mean i consider this a coming of age uh a novel but but then you know coming of age doesn't initially just have to be about kids learning regardless of how old we all are we all have things we can learn uh i think this novel exemplifies that you know we we need to always take the attitude that uh we're not so smart that we can't learn something new every day, especially when it comes to our fellow men, uh, you know, and, and, and how to treat them. Uh, and I think, I, I, I think this, as, as Don said, this, uh, you know, and, and others have said this uh, in this novel, uh, it's not just the kids that are learning, it's a lot of the characters. I would only add that whether coming of age or gothic, that's a very interesting. You have the old and the new South. And I like to think that Atticus was the New South, and Calpurnia was in her own way, in my opinion. And we did grow with Scout and Jim, and I hope they would be the New South. And, uh, you know, that's just, it takes a while. I know we all read The Help later, and it didn't work yet, but it's, it's a slow evolution. But we're all growing up together, and it is definitely a hopeful book. It's interesting, Bob, that you should mention The Help, because that was on my mind, too. And the, the similarities between The Help and To Kill a Mockingbird and the same issues 
are in that book as are in the help. Where you have in Mockingbird, Calpurnia's situation is not brought out in the same way. And that's not the main theme of the book. But the same idea of looking at people and saying, who are you? What do you stand for? What are your values here? How do you treat other people? And the whole idea in the help of the black women who actually raised the children, that the, that the white women had very little to do with the actual day-to-day -day raising of the kids. And that they somehow turned out to be, at least partially, to meld to the society. And it's a, a symbiotic thing, I think. As far as a gothic, uh, no. I don't think it's a gothic because the, the supernatural, the ghosts or whatever, are part of the normal fabric of that kind of society. When I think of gothics, I think of Dracula or Mary Stewart or something like that, and where the supernatural is pointed out, whereas here it kind of it just kind of weaves in. It's just another thread in the, in the whole fabric of this time of growing up that, that both these kids experience, as well as the adults. It's not just a growing up book that affects the kids. It's a, a, a book of change. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Anyway, we're... Everybody is forced to change because they're looking at issues where they have to. They have to change or be left behind. And some people choose that and some people choose to change. Oh, I'm, I'm so fascinated with this discussion. This is so great. One other thing that I'd like to say in response to what Bob said is that Atticus chose to be forward-thinking because he loved the South and he loved his people. And he loved what they could be. He loved their potential. And he wanted and saw the need for the change and the need for decency and for people to be humane to each other and to love one another. And the importance of honesty and loyalty and doing right. But the thing that I want to say is that he couldn't have done all that without first loving where he came from and loving the goodness that was in the people even though there was a lot of bad in them too. And if you, this novel also says a lot to me about never forgetting where you came from and that what makes you up as a person is what happened before and what happened to you as you were growing up, all of those things you're affected by. And in order to make that transition from one place to another, it's love. It's truly love, I think, that takes you there because that's where the understanding comes from. I also thought of the help when I was reading, especially when I was looking at what happened with Cal and how she was raising the, the children, and I thought a lot about class and where society puts you and 
what is expected and how you can go beyond what society thinks you ought to be and grow not only in yourself and in your family but also force change in whatever way you can without really forcing it. I mean things just happen. Um, I saw some of that in the help. Of course that took place years later but this was kind of the rumblings of of that but at the same time it was vital because what happened with so many of the people in To Kill a Mockingbird was touched off by how each of them reacted to different situations and how the town as a whole changed and people grew in the end, at least most of them did. Hi, this is Richard Claypool and um, I think that for me, To Kill a Mockingbird has been a growth through growing up. When I was very young, yeah, about six, I remember reading it for the first time. I used to sit with Mother, and uh, she would read books, and she figured, why shouldn't I be? Certain images stick out at me from that time. The uh, lie that uh, uh, was given by the sheriff, oh, he fell on his kitchen knife and died, and I can't forget the guy's name. And it got me to thinking, or even at age, are there times when lies happen? Obviously, I rake when things would, that was beyond me with the idea of unfairness. And uh, Mother and, and I had this discussion about it, and as I grew older and reread it, it moved through a transition of growing and uh, becoming more aware of mouilleurs and things. I'm a bit curious as to why this novel would be considered a gothic. Is it the Goo Radley type figure? Uh, one, I guess, could make an argument that he's the the, the, the vampire, the, the thing in the closet, and of course he becomes something that is is uh, um, more human and is is, is uh, almost an unsung hero throughout the story. Uh, but ragged dogs, if that's gothic, then that's that's throughout society. I think that it's a novel that that can move people, and none of the characters are, I think, completely uh, perfect. Some of them are. Even the ones who are painted as villains, if you look, there are aspects that make you think, well, these, these, are, these are people. You cannot just dismiss them arbitrarily uh, from, you know, as, as completely bad. And I think that's a way with everything. And growing up in the North, I, I always found it interesting to read this book because it gives a, an insight into a life and a culture that I experienced somewhat when I was in Anderson, South Carolina, but, but nothing like, like this a different world, a different time, different motivations, but still, ultimately, at the end, those which make us human. Hey, this is Sue Ellen. Um, I really love this book, and it strikes me as I'm listening to people's comments and thinking about the book, that Atticus was a reflection of the time, really. Um, the South was at a kind of crossroads. The old way, we had just had the fallout of the big trial in Atlanta, which I'm blanking on, the one that the play, The Parade, was based on. We still had the Jim Crow thing going on. We were at a point where things were societally having to change with the advent of the New Deal, and Atticus represented both the old South and probably what was going to be a part of the new South, as that change, as um, that change and that move towards progress began to come about, 
I love the line that Maudie has in there when she's explaining Atticus's actions to the children and she's saying we need Atticus to do the job that nobody else has the guts to do. You know, that I thought was so perfect. You know, we need men like Atticus to do those things that everyone else doesn't have the courage to do. Hi, this is a, this is Joshua. I remember reading this book, To Kill a Mockingbird, in uh, I believe it was 7th or 8th grade for my English class. And uh, this book really means a lot to me, though I did not read it for uh, this discussion tonight. I have a lot of fond memories of it because I can remember at that time I had a hard time getting the, uh, the audio book uh, for, the, for NLS. So what I had to do was, I remember sometimes uh, my mom would read to me some of the chapters aloud because you had to have so many chapters read by the time you know you came to class each day so much of it read so you could discuss it well I remember sometimes my mom would read to me the chapters and uh, at one time I was at my I was at my grandparents house and my grandpa read some of the chapters of the book to me and uh, my grandpa uh, reads the newspaper a lot but he just, he's not he was not really <laughs> wasn't really the best uh, reader to be reading aloud to me the book but uh, you know I always have fond memories of that and and I remember I didn't get any credit for it, but I remember we they talked they mentioned Lane cake in the uh, in the book, and uh, my mom actually found a recipe and she made Lane cake, and we I brought that into the school to our class when we had Lane cake when we were discussing the book, and I remember my English class we we watched the movie after we read the book. The movie is good, but I think the book is the book is definitely. Uh, a lot better and uh, you know as people are commenting different parts of the book are coming back to memory I mean I just I really like how the book was written it was a very very ni- very nice writing style and you know very well drawn characters I would not consider this a gothic novel at all I don't uh, I don't think but it's uh, I'm really really enjoying the uh, the comment the comments of this of this book quite a bit so I wanted to talk about Boo Radley for just a second when you mentioned that someone mentioned that they wondered if he was a gothic character, and he may have been, but I rather like to think of him as the character who maybe in the beginning anyway symbolized someone who was sort of out of step with the world, who, who didn't seem to be able to cope with the world very well for whatever reason. And yet, Blue Radley's character really showed that uh, there was a quote in the book about how one of, one of the children says that she had figured him out or that they had figured him out that he just maybe he just wanted to live inside. And that to me had a lot of symbolism for possibly a person who decides to do nothing. And yet, if, even if that's what he had been trying to do, he ended up doing a lot and had a lot of influence. I, although I don't know he ever really intended to have it. But I think she's kind of saying too that, you know, a lot of us do choose, I don't. But I think a lot of people do choose to live lives where they try to stay out of things. They don't try to uh, ruffle any feathers. You know, they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to cause trouble. They don't want to hurt people. And I think in a way, maybe she was trying to say that for the people, that if he had continued that way and if he hadn't had the influence he had, that maybe in some ways we can hurt people more by not wanting to have influence and by sitting back and just sort of letting, saying, well, let someone else take care of it because I don't think I should do anything. I don't know, just a thought. No, I wasn't uh, trying to say that he was a uh, gothic character. The, the idea that he's this, this, this person that people were scared of. Uh, but uh, the one thing I was like, Boo Ragley, that is very interesting, was that he had this, um, he was able to laugh. I can't remember exactly where it is in the book, um, but uh, you know, they, they heard 
uh, somebody laughing. Apparently, the, you know the the you know kids getting kids. You know them reenacting Lou Radley on on outside made him laugh. And of course, you, one can argue is this does Lou Radley realize that he is the bug of of everything, uh, or you know does uh, does he not and and uh, just view it as a cartoon antic uh, in the TV of life? And that's something that we'll never know. And that's the that's one of the things about the book is the ambiguity. Um, of things like that, the title and, and so many things in this book. Boo, I think, is also a thing of, of if, if you try to judge uh, certain people, how they are, how they react, sometimes you're going to be wrong, and dignity should be given, uh, unless there's a really good reason not to be to people around you. You may not understand where they're coming from, but they have their life, and you should let them live it. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking as I was reading, um, I, I missed it the first time I read it in um, high school, but I saw it in this read, that whole scene at the end after Scout has assisted Boo in getting back to his house, and she he, she's looking out and suddenly seeing the world how he must have seen it. And it was just a moment that, you could either, as that kid, be horrified in shame that he did see so much of how he was belittled in some way, and yet, in the end, when they were in trouble, he was there for them. Even knowing that they viewed him as this object of fun-making. And I just thought that was the most powerful uh, moment. I don't know how I managed to miss that the first time I read it. I think a lot of people miss that the first time they read it. And I think one of the things that struck me this time is that we really, we know Boo through the children's perceptions of him. We really don't know a lot about who, how Boo perceives himself. And I've read this book, I really think I've read this book 20 times. And it never occurred to me till this time around that that's the case. And I think if you think back about Boo throughout the book, I mean, in the beginning, he is this spooky character that the children don't understand, so he becomes an object of fun. But then there's all this confusion when he mends the pants and when he starts leaving them gifts. Well, what is all that about? We're making fun of him. We're making his life difficult, and he's leaving us gifts. And then you've got that end scene. It's a Boo is a very important part of this book. And I think if there's a character that I constantly think about when I read it now, it's probably Boo. It's a fascinating. And if you look at that last scene in the book, um, which I'll say more right before we end, but it really becomes clear the evolution of Boo and what that says about the book as a whole. I just want to do, and I know we, we want to try to get done around 9.30ish, just two other things that I want to point out one, and then I would like to hear your input on another. We've talked a lot about the contrasts in this book, black and white, social class, the male f white father and the black mother, um, even though Calpurnia was not the mother, but she certainly was a mother figure. One of the contrasts that struck me this time, and it's probably because of things that have gone on in my job, believe it or not, is the supposedly wise quote-unquote system, which knows all the rules, versus wisdom. And what I'm referring to are things like, for example, 
that school teacher who got all of her knowledge from college training and knew all the theories and the newest theories and she was forward looking and she and really did not understand anything more than this is the theory versus Atticus the teacher now I know Atticus was not a teacher but basically he was teaching his kids and when you compare Atticus the teacher with the classroom teacher I think that's a really interesting change well even when you look at the trial the wisdom of the system well not in that instance when you look at the death and how the death was handled the wisdom of the system well no when you read about Harper Lee there's not a lot written about Harper Lee but it's very clear that she was not a system kind of gal she was a tomboy she did what she want believed and and held to those beliefs and I think you can see a lot of that in the book the one other thing and I will answer this after you folks have a crack at it but what do you think Atticus's greatest strength was Oh my, I didn't think it would chirp. Um, his greatest strength was his way to explain life. I'm being general here to Scout, and I want to jump for a second to the Yules when she said, you know, they don't go to school. They, they do. Look at them, Atticus. And he said, yeah, the Yules are, are white trash. They live a little bit outside of society, and they break some laws, and we let them do it. But if they break the wrong laws, we move in on them. I think his view of life, I would have loved to have sat at his knee and shut up and listened to him and learned as I grew up. Uh, yeah, this is Al. And I, I think Addis's greatest strength is his, his empathy, putting yourself in another person's position and uh, uh, trying to, to view things from their perspective, which, you know, I think he exemplifies that in, in his little speech about getting in another person's skin and walking around and stuff so that's uh, that's what I think it is I would agree with all that this is Bonnie but I would also say that Atticus's great strength was his knowledge of what people would probably do he didn't allow what people did even though he might be tremendously disappointed and hurt by what they did he didn't allow that to change his own faith and hope for life being better in the future. He always maintained that somehow, even though he was very hurt, obviously, by this trial. And his faith in human beings, I think, was probably his greatest strength, the one that probably led to all of the rest, because he always, I guess I just can't say it enough, he, he really lived in hope, he really believed people could be better if they chose to, if they wanted to be. But he also understood that realistically many times people won't choose to be all they could be and so you have to accept them always hope maybe but in the end accept the fact that they are what they are and some will and most won't change I think Atticus's greatest strength was his belief in peaceful solutions wherever possible he didn't want Scout to fight and one of the great scenes was his agreeing to sit by the jail to keep Tom safe from the lynch mob that he knew was coming. Although I thought it was absolutely, and it was, you know, and that he raised Scout to believe that and to understand that. I, I thought it was a great moment that it took a little girl to shame those bullies into getting back in their cars and going home. I think 
that Atticus' greatest strength was his ability to love in the in the Christian sense of the word, in the Corinthians 13 sense of the word, to hope all things, believe all things, think no evil, and to accept people for who and what they were. I think that was his greatest strength. Okay, I agree with everything everybody said, and it all goes into to this point, too, that... Uh, and this is a great question. This is a great, really a great question. Um, I think his greatest strength, or certainly part of it, was his willingness to stand up to the system in the face of no agreement. The system wasn't going to change him. I think I've heard a saying, I'm not here to change the world. I'm just going to make sure the world doesn't change me. And he did not change him. I don't disagree with any of what I've heard, but I will tell you that overarching and undergirding all else, the great strength that he had is is his love for those children. That sets him apart. All other assignments come and go. Being an attorney fades away. Uh, being a, a pillar in the community eventually becomes relatively unimportant and unimpressive. All of those other things you get released from. Uh, parenthood is the one assignment from which there is never ever any kind of release and that's where this guy really shines forth he allows those children to watch that courtroom drama because he loved them enough to let that happen even though he had some misgivings it happened he allows them the interaction with Lou Radley he knew what they were doing he knew they were trying to sort of torment the guy as as little children can and he let them know at the appropriate time in their lives that he was keenly aware of what they were doing the greatest strength this guy had above all this other stuff and I don't disagree with any of this but his ability to love those children is what really makes him stand apart for me you know what's fascinating I think if I had this to do over again I would have written a list of questions and not given my own view because what fascinates me about this question is, and I know a lot of the people on this call from other venues, we probably all, we don't, we don't all know each other, but what's interesting is how people's own lives impact what they choose as Atticus's strength. I would not have come up with the answer that Nolan just gave. And yet I'll tell you, that's very Nolan-esque. And I think that speaks to part of the power of the book the, the humanity of the book is in large part in the fact that we can, it does create meaning for us, whoever we may be. For me, what I loved about it is, Atticus, when I read that comment that all of the characters in the book change, but Atticus doesn't, he's the stable rock, and I sat there and I thought, wait a minute. Why did I never think that Atticus was cookie cutter? Why did I never accuse him of being too good? Why did I not have that reaction that you've all seen me state on DB Review of, oh, come on, this is not realistic? And I think what sets it apart for me is that the reason Atticus is so strong, the reason Atticus is so compassionate is because he really has a deep, respect for individuality and he can separate out what's that uh, comment about 
I don't believe in what you're saying, but it's your right to say it. Atticus is a person who, in my mind, can look at something, has very clear beliefs, a very clear moral compass. And when he is critical of someone, he does not use empathy as an excuse, and yet tries to get his children to understand that the reason that the person is reacting the way they are is because of the experiences they've had, because of who they are. But it doesn't become an excuse. It becomes a, a way of understanding so that it becomes a way into their shoes. You want to walk in that person's shoes. Here's a way to do that. Let's look at the factors that cause this person to react this way. And I think, you know, so often when you hear that, the reason this person does this and you'll get somebody, I don't want another reason, you know, that's when you talk about capital punishment, people will say, I don't want to know the reason for it, it's wrong and that's it. But this is a, a, the juxtaposition of a strong moral compass combined with the walking a mile in his shoes. And I think the walking a mile in his shoes and the empathy to me, I think, is what Harper Lee probably wants us to take away. What I would encourage all of you to do is to reread after we hang up, which we will be doing soon, um, to reread the last chapter of the book, which is short. Because that last scene in the book, for me, tells so much about the book. And the last word of the book, and maybe I just think too much, but the last word of the book is mourning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, mourning, not with the U. And I always love that about the book because to me it very much is about mourning. It's about new days. It's about light. It's also about light versus dark. But it really ends, even though I'm not a mourning person, but it, it ends on the hopeful note of mourning. And that might be something for us all to think about. It is past 9.30 at this point. I'm thrilled with the turnout that we've had, and I'm thrilled to hear new people and new voices and people who I haven't spoken with in person before that came, and I'm sure Nolan would share that. I just would like to know if anyone has any final comments, and then we'll turn it over to Nolan, and he can certainly chime in with some of his own thoughts as the, the father-founder of DB Review, which we all come to love and value. Hi, this is Richard Quake. One of the things I'd like to say is, is that uh, we've seen this country recently, and yes, I do have a reason for going where I'm going, um, in political uh, dissonance, uh, people disagreeing. But uh, I, I think that uh, it's good to see that, um, that uh, a novel like this, uh, whether you be on the right, the left, or uh, some place in between, is, is, an, is, is a novel that we all or at least I would say most people, uh, definitely we all in this room, but most people out there can, can read and relate to. And uh, it says a lot about her. There was, there was a quote, and if one of you has it, it was something that, that, uh, that she had said. I know that she was a very self-effacing individual, the author. And uh, there was a quote that I read somewhere, and it was beautiful. I wish that we knew more about her, but maybe that's the, the thing. Why know about her uh, more when her work speaks so well? Very seldom, I think, can a novel come up that really can speak to so many different people from so many walks of life and so many different intellectual and philosophical perspectives. And I think that is the uh, good thing. And it makes each uh, anyway, empathy. 
and teaches us how to make you live better and and see things then wonderful and a few smiles along the way that's always a wonderful thing to have yeah this is alan and uh yeah, I, I just want to say that uh uh, th this book was published in July of 1960. That's like 52 years ago. So that's that, that's a long time, and it, you can tell that how timeless it, it is and how great a story it is because we're sitting here talking about it today, and a lot of the issues still apply today. So that that really is a a, a mark of a great uh, a, a great piece of uh, uh, of writing. And uh, I wanted to share one one kind of funny thing that I used to work at. Uh, First Tennessee Bank in Memphis. Back in the day, we had a CEO that was a real imperious kind of arrogant guy that not a lot of people liked. And we also had the the, the director of investor relations that worked with the uh, the stock market analysts and stuff. Was a black guy that was just really funny, a really nice guy. And he used to tell the story. He was always afraid that the CEO was going to call call down to his office and ask him to come up to come up to his office and bust up a shiver robe. And I, the first time I heard that, it just cracked me up. Well, I have only two things to say, and I guess I tend to think as, a, as an interviewer, strangely enough. And if I could talk to Harper Lee, well, first I would say that, yes, there is a morning. Obviously, there is a morning. I would ask her what she thinks about the fact, would she have ever thought that we would have a black president? I don't mean to go political here. But that's one question I would ask her. Oh, the other one that I would ask her is if she had read The Help and uh, what she thought of it. Uh, because I think the people who brought these books together, they really do go hand in hand in lots and lots of ways. And I'm sure it probably took great courage to write To Kill a Mockingbird in its time, as I'm sure it did to write The Help. I applaud both Catherine Stockett and Harper Lee for caring enough about us to do it. There's one character I'll write on the list about, and I'm sure get some good answers. We have not discussed Dill and his role. I thought he was an interesting guy. Thank you. You're right, we haven't. And he is overlooked, very much overlooked. All of you have added to uh, brick by brick and, and stone by stone to the to the monument that really DB Review is. It's not a monument to me at all. It's a monument to you who have been faithful members of the list for some of you for years, almost from the day one. And, um, you know, we're very rapidly approaching the fifth birthday of the list, which is pretty kind of remarkable when you think about it. A, a book review list normally kind of fades out or it flames out sometimes in, in the heat of a discussion or whatever happens. And they don't always last five years. And so all of you who are here tonight are builders and great architects of remarkable legacy. I applaud you for being part of this, for being part of the list. It's one of the things, silly as that may seem, that I'm most proud of in my entire life because it accomplishes so much for those of us who are there in terms of new discoveries and new ideas and new books and, and things of that nature. So I appreciate all of you for your uh, efforts as builders. I'd like your thoughts on this. I almost see Boo as a kind of a Christ-like guy almost and, and before you sort of hit your alt F4 and say well he's really jumped the rail let me try to explain that quickly if I may. Um, Boo was uniquely interested in the individual uh, 
he proved that by leaving little gifts for those kids, which others in the community who were far more influential and could have been interested in the individual uh, really didn't do. Uh, you know, he left the packets of gum. He left the things. The night of the fire, it's not one of the pillars of the community. It's Boo, who, in an, an act of incredible compassion, drops a blanket over Little Scout at, to, to get her warm. At the end of the book, it's Boo who is there for those children, who makes such a tremendous difference when their lives were genuinely imperiled. And he paid so much attention to the individual, and, and, and in that regard, I think, was kind of a Christ-like figure in, in the fact that he was persecuted in his community by many. Even those who were the beneficiaries of his largesse were, were initially among those who wanted to torment him and try to get him to come out of the house, and he was this, this odd character, this strange guy in town who everybody thought was a bit of a novelty, a bit of an oddball. And yet he was the one who had tremendous compassion as well. It was his individual concern for the individual that really stood out for me. Are there any who wish to have, express final thoughts about this before we bring this uh, great, great discussion to a close? That's an interesting observation, Nolan. No, I was not about to <laughs> leave leave the discussion over that statement. I, that's an interesting observation. Um, I want to sort of just comment a little bit about the significance of his name. I don't know if all the characters were so named we were supposed to, but Boo, Boo, you know, that's what people say when they're trying to scare you, Boo. And I think that was the whole, he was the scary character. I think that's why they named him that way. He was only a nickname, really. And yet he was the one you should really be least afraid of in the end. I mean, you've got all these crazy people that wanted to hang Tom Robinson and and all these really, really scary people, and then there was Boo. I don't know as I would go with Christ, definitely not in the messianic role. One, you know, might view him as, I wouldn't even go anti-hero, a sympathetic devil, and that might all that force somebody, if you want to, if you want to take it into that role. One might argue that you know, he he's one that the people view as a devil, as not as you know, as this person. Uh, you know, all the the good things that were wrought up around him, and ultimately, he's not a devil, he's not a Christ, but he is maybe the best of of what we can be, and sometimes we overlook those treasures, and maybe in some way that is a a, a Christ-like messianic image. Uh, I never thought of him in that way. And that's always the uh, the thing of, of looking and listening to a conversation like this. I'll give some more thought to it over time, but I wouldn't go Christ, not even Gandhi, uh, but yeah, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in between, maybe. That's that's where I put him on an initial reflection. Well, it can be argued forever as to whether or not we have angels on Earth. If Boo was not Christ-like. And I like to think he was. I think, Nolan, that's a very good point, an interesting one. But if not that, he is at least a guardian angel on Earth looking out for those kids. I like to think of him at least like that. I totally agree with you, Bonnie. I see both attributes, um, the Christ-like and the angelic. I mean, if he weren't there, Bob Yule would have killed him.
both probably. And then also the blanket. <laughs> Poor scout darn near got in trouble until she said, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. And Atticus figured it out. So yeah, he really uh, did. He was there for those children. I would rate him an earth angel if there is such a thing. I think I think uh, they're guardian angel on earth. Yeah, I, I appreciate all that's been said. I, Like I said, I just saw a lot of similarities. You know, you, you have... Jesus, when he first stood up to read in Galilee, the folks in town said, oh, that's just Joseph's kid. And I don't know that they said it, but maybe one or two of them said that whole family is kind of weird. Um, and I don't mean to put words in their in their mouths. That there's nothing in the record that says that's what they said. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if somebody in town had said, oh, gosh, he's he's got up here to read for the first time. Uh, that whole family is a little goofy. And boo got a lot of the same treatment in the town by people who really never thought much about what they were saying or doing. It's real easy to dismiss those around us. Uh, I guess that's one of the lessons I take from this book, too, is I, I need the lesson from the book that it's, it's real easy to dismiss people around me who are different from me and who I probably shouldn't dismiss quite so, so quickly. I, and I have neighbors who, whom I don't even know by name or they're not from this country. That's the only thing I can tell you. That's a terrible indictment of me in many respects. It speaks to a kind of recluse, uh, sort of a, a shrunken landscape. But I think if we're not careful, we can all get into that kind of a mode where we're sort of dismissive. And uh, anyway, I've learned a lot from, from Boo and Scout and all of them. Are there any final thoughts? I had wanted to close this by uh, 10 o'clock Eastern. I think there are folks on the Pacific Coast who may not yet have gotten their evening meal, and they're probably <laughs> anxious to do that. But are there any final thoughts uh, that folks wish to express before we bring this to a close? Now, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, along with what you said, Noah, and uh, uh, th that's what I like about the book, because it, it does try to make you... Uh, you know, it, it's human nature for us all to want to pigeonhole people and put everybody in their little box and stuff. And this book does such a good job of showing, you know, you you know, you got to be careful about doing that because you never know somebody's whole story. And you know, Boo was obviously one of the characters where that was exemplified. But also, and I don't even remember the gentleman's name, the guy that the whole all the townspeople thought was a drunk, and he walked around with that brown sack at at the trial uh, when Dill got sick. It turned out he just had Coca-Cola in the thing, and you know. You just never know, you know. There's just uh, there's always another side of things, and we just need to be open and receptive to trying to find it. I see a lot of myself in some in these characters, and I'm sure that you do as well. And I think ultimately that what we should take away from this book is that while many of us are different, our common humanity binds us, and that should be the most important thing unless evil comes in the way. And then we need to skank up against it because it's not part of our common heritage. Well, I want to once again express my sincere thanks to Bob and everyone at Accessible World for giving us this privilege. We are honored to be guests in the house. I'm hopeful that we can uh, <laughs> leave it in as good or better shape than when we found it clean up the wrappers and the cans and so on, <laughs> so figuratively speaking, of course. It's such a tremendous honor to be 
able to use this room. Today is the 99th birthday of Alexander Scorby and next year obviously will be the centennial and, and I would hope that the DB review will will do something in perhaps in here if we can if we can get a, a room here on a Wednesday night I'm not trying to be presumptuous we'll work those details out over the year but it would be great if uh, if the list could continue to, to honor uh, uh, Mr. Scorby particularly next year uh, the centennial of his birth Don do you have any final things you want to say and then we'll we'll let Bob wrap this up no except that I want to echo your thanks to accessible world uh, we so appreciate your not only the use of the site and the room but your assistance with this event which really goes way above and beyond and we really appreciate that the other thing we really appreciate is the participation of everyone on the list whether you contribute reviews or read thoughtfully or get things out of the list that we're not even aware you get or tell a friend about it or read it for a month and go off and then come back on three months later because it's at a time in your life when you're able to benefit from it we really really appreciate that we appreciate the input that we get the humanity of the people on the list is really what has allowed the list to survive it's such a tribute to the power of the written word and the power of the book that it can bring us all together. You know, you hear about writers and the writing life being solitary and, oh, you know, you're reading all alone. But this is really a proof that reading can create community. And I thank you all for that. And on behalf of Accessible World and as an avid member of the DB list, you know that you will always have an open invitation to be here. Thank you for your kind words. This is a fantastically great discussion. And God bless you all. We'll see you next year. And happy birthday, Mr. Scorby. May your memory live forever. Thank you.